Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilczek. This week, I'm speaking with Marianne Cullinan and Matt Keel about their experiences using Dungeons & Dragons in the classroom. This is episode 46 of On Tenure Tracks. middle school in Antrim, New Hampshire, which is uh, five through eight um, grades, and it's a rural middle school of about 260 kids, and we have about 50 of them after school in our Dungeons & Dragons club, and we have 13 more who maybe need during the day, and nine more who are DMs. So we're doing all Dungeons & Dragons all the time, but when I'm not doing that, I'm teaching enrichment to all different kinds of kids, not just gifted and talented. Awesome. And I'm Matt Keel. I am a high school biology teacher in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. And I've been, I guess I've been teaching almost 10 years now. And about four years ago, or five years ago, I think at this point, I started a D&D club uh, for students after school. And my experiences in my D&D club led to the creation of the Detentions of Dragons podcast, which is a podcast that is dedicated to uh, helping teachers bring Dungeons and Dragons into the classroom. So that's, I think, why I'm here today. <laughs> think why? Not entirely positive. <laughs> like 98% sure that's why I'm here today. I think so, but <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you, thank you both um, for taking time uh, out of your summer vacation in this very relaxing time <laughs> to, um, to talk about work. Um, so I guess my first question for you both is, um, what, what was it about D&D that um, made you want to bring it into your schools to begin with? Marianne, go for it, because okay. I have a story, but it's probably different than yours. We'll see. So, um, I am a child of the 90s, so I never got to play D&D because I was a girl, and I was, that wasn't, there wasn't any interest in um, girls being at the table at that time, and so I never learned how to play, although I've been doing role-playing game type stuff in my classroom for about five years. I kind of came into it from another direction and had never actually played role-playing games as a hobby. And I went down to PAX Unplugged a couple years ago, and I saw a panel called Hand Her a Sword, which was all about how girls can get a lot out of D&D. So I thought, well, you know what, I could do that. So I went back to my classroom the next week, and I walked around school and found some girls and said, hey, you know Stranger Things, that show where they play D&D? Do you want to learn how to do that? And they were like, yeah. So we all learned how to play together, and that's how my girls friendship and self-empowerment group started around D&D they call themselves the Slay Queens they are yes they named that themselves and they're not um, they are female a female focused group but they are not entirely 
female anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my other students who were either in a different grade or were boys were like, what about us? Why can't we play d and It's like, well, of course you can play d and And so then we started the club after school. And so now we have... Um, we have our after-school club, Heroes Hall, that has about 50 kids, and we have about nine student DMs um, who meet with me during enrichment. They, that's a class for them to do their planning, and then I have slate meets. And then outside of school, I started a D&D group with my own friends just so I could actually learn how to play maybe a little faster than the kids did. Um, and sometimes I'm streaming with the Black Feather Guild. Uh, which is a, a Twitch channel, um, which has helped me stay sane as an extrovert during these trying times of being home. So shout out for sure to the Slay Queens. Uh, yes. <laughs> for sure. They for are sure. I was also at the Hand or a Sword panel, um, and it was awesome. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, that sent me down a similar path, although you've had much more success um, I, I will I will say that I ended up having so um, very jealous and looking forward to living vicariously through you for the, the, next, for the next little bit um, Matt how about you yeah I, before we go on if people don't understand like the metric of having a D&D club with 50 players in it and 9 dungeon masters like this is ludicrously just an amazing feat like I have a club that has around probably 20-ish players in it and there's different groups but to like consistently have a group of 50 kids and to have a space and manage the materials and making sure everybody has like all the equipment that they need and all the sheets that's amazing because i hope you clearly i think you do know that but like that is awesome so thank you yeah, so, I'm really proud, and we only graduated out four eighth graders, so we have about 46 returning next year. So we're, I'm slowly going to take the entire school over to become D&D. <laughs> I cannot wait. Oh my gosh, too cool, too cool. So, um, wait, what was my question? What was I just to you had a story. Oh, you had a story that you wanted to, to tell about how you got uh, why you decided to bring D&D into your school. Oh, sure. So the story begins about five years ago in which I'm sitting in my classroom. And I think when you are a teacher, you often are making a lot of sacrifices for Mm -hmm. your students because that's what you do as an educator. That's kind of why we're in the field. We want to make the classroom experience better for everybody. So I have a student come in and she says, hey, do we have a D&D club at school? And I say, no, we don't. Then she says, can we start a D&D club at school? And I said, okay, sure, let's start a D&D club at school. I can do that. And I had a board game club. It just seemed like it would make sense to have a D&D club. And I said, well, make sure you like have your books and stuff. I've never really played 5th edition. I've heard some podcasts. I played some D&D 16 years ago. And then it was the first day of club and it was very apparent that nobody knew how to play Dungeons and Dragons and nobody knew how to DM. So it was sort of like you, Marianne, where I'm listening to podcasts, I'm doing my homework, and then I'm running uh, my own campaign and getting everything organized. So that first year was a lot of just like 
trial by fire and then playing some D&D with my friends outside of school because I was enjoying it in the club setting. And yeah, and then it's just been um, each year we've kind of grown in the number of people who are participating. And yeah, that's kind of the story. It just started off with somebody asking. And of course, as a teacher, I just said, yes, let's do this. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, and I would be remiss not to mention that there was a group of students kind of similar right before I went to see Handra Sword that mm-hmm. was meeting in my classroom playing D&D oh, cool. by themselves. They knew how to play. They just needed the space. Sure. So that was sort of happening in the background, but I wasn't part of it at all. And then I'm like, okay, it's time to lean in. It's you need to jump into this yep. in the realm of D&D in the educational setting. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so that uh, that tells me how it happened, but I, I guess what I want to know is like, um, I guess why? <laughs> like, and not just like the kids the kids asked you, but like, what is it about D and D that for each of you like has has clearly sparked like a, a passion for you? Like, Marian, you said you're gonna take over your entire school. With yeah. It. So. <laughs> Um, so if you imagine yourself as a middle schooler, um, so which is ages 10 through 14, and the developmental work of middle schoolers is around identity and sort of become splitting off from family and saying, who am I? Mm-hmm. And that's part of why they're so dependent on friends and clicky and they're really bad at friendship, so they make poor choices and that's how they learn. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that... Um, theater things like improv or collaborative storytelling. I mean, improv and D&D have a lot in common, right? D&D is basically long-form improv. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of skills help kids cycle through a lot of identities quickly Mm -hmm. and practice skills that they really need in a setting that is semi-structured, but also you know, it's it's friendship with semi-structured rules. And if you're not a kid who's particularly sporty, you don't necessarily have a lot of that because the people who are into soccer and stuff, they, they have that. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows what part of the team, like what part of the field they're supposed to be on, right? Yep. And so these kids, it helps them navigate socially and do a lot of practicing. It mm-hmm. also helps, it's fun. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of laughter. Um, there's a lot of just creativity. There's a lot of... You know, if you go up to a kid, or if you go up to an NPC, a non-player character, and punch them in the face while they're trying to tell you the secret, they're going to leave. <laughs> and then you don't get to know the secret. And so once that happens 15 times, you start to think about the consequences of your actions, right? So there's a lot of um, those soft social skills going on. There's mm-hmm. math. There's team building. So there's all sorts of, um, there are kids reading these books that the reading level of them is relatively high. Yeah. And they're pouring over this nonfiction in a way that I would never be able to get them to do about other topics. So, so there's a lot of development for middle schoolers. Um, and then there's also a lot of community building mm-hmm. where lots of different kinds of kids who wouldn't necessarily be friends outside of the group have come together. Mm-hmm. And I'm very passionate about making um, the table a safe space for all different kinds of kids to play in different ages. And so all of our tables are mixed age, and um, we have almost a 50-50 gender split. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still a little heavy on boys, but I'm trying to 
for the after school club. But I'm trying to um, really make it a safe place for everyone mm-hmm. to join if they like. So um, it doesn't have to be D&D also. Mm-hmm. Um, there are actually other role-playing games that are better, great, just as good, but D&D is the one that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. So it's the one that most likely, when I send them out into the outside world, they're going to come across in the wild. Mm-hmm. You know, and ultimately, I would like them and their friends to be going and playing without me. Mm-hmm. Right? They've developed the social skills, they've developed the group, they have the confidence, now go be in the world. And the most likely place they'll be is in a D&D setting. And then if they get super into it, they'll find other RPGs on their own. Cool. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I think that a lot of the reasons that I have the D&D club are a lot of the, of the same reasons that Marianne spoke to. I think the thing that I would definitely emphasize is the importance of um, like community building and finding just like what is your place within your school setting, within your life setting, that type of thing like that. Because one thing that is consistently a factor, it's just something that rings true, is I will have these students come to D&D Club every Thursday, and this is the only extracurricular activity that they do in high school. And they have no other interest in uh, doing like sports or band and that type of thing like that. And for a lot of people, high school is this very welcoming environment. It's a place where they get to experiment dynamically with like friendships, social interactions, and just all sorts of things. And a lot of times, so like that's the learning that happens when you are doing some sort of extracurricular activity. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of these students, they don't have that place. And when you create D&D, it does attract so many different audiences, but it does often attract uh, students who don't necessarily have an interest in a lot of like the pre-existing clubs or sports and things like that. And you don't have to be like good at D&D. Like, you can get cut from a track team. You might not make the play, but like everybody who comes to D&D Club, if they've played for 10 years to a person who just learned that the game existed when they entered into the front door, they're welcome. They have a place at the table. And it's so invaluable to have that space um, mm-hmm. for those students. So I think that in a time when students are trying to figure out what their identity is and to build friendships and find a place within the community, it's so great to have all these different options. But it's also great to have an option for those that don't see those other options available. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons, besides just like, I like D&D, it's fun, it's improv and it's games, but it's a fun way to have a community uh, for all diverse numbers of students. So just to clarify, um, Matt, the students in your club, um, they're there just because they, or they found it because they um, they haven't found really like any satisfaction in anything else that your school offers, right? It's not, well, ne- it's not necessarily like these are all kids with um, like antisocial behavioral problems no, or anything. No, this okay. is 100% voluntary. There is no like therapeutic kind of intentional dynamic um, purpose to the club this is 
the same extracurricular like style of activity if you did a mm-hmm. National Honor Society or a yearbook, that type of thing like that. This is completely voluntary, and it is pitched as, this is where we play D&D. Come here to learn about D&D. It just happens to be that the demographic in large part that gets attracted to the mm-hmm. Dungeons & Dragons Club happens to be uh, the students who are not necessarily finding mm-hmm. uh, fulfillment in other extracurricular activities. Now, I do have a bunch of theater kids show up. I have swimmers and football players, and usually they like rotate by season, so I won't see them <laughs> in the fall, and then they'll show up in the winter because then their sport is done with. But, um, yeah, so... But it does traditionally like attract students who may not necessarily have like the same uh, like classical stereotypic view of high school where like I do three sports I do National Honor Society I do student council that type of thing again all those students are welcomed of course but it just uh, attracts those who uh, don't necessarily find a lot of value or importance Mm -hmm. uh, in those other things so can I ask specifically, um, how do your, I'm, I'm fascinated by this this uh, image, how do your football players handle D&D club? Like, what is their, what is their approach to it? Their, the approach, here's the thing you wouldn't know, because they're, it, I would say they're probably more like the type where they're big and kind of jock-like, but maybe they're not like in the football like locker room talking about yeah my, le- my barbarian just leveled up to <laughs> six now I'm gonna do whatever feed I don't know what happens at bar- with barbarians at level six but they're probably not advertising to their friends in that capacity yeah. but like when they yeah, get there yeah I that experience so sorry I didn't mean to interrupt oh, no. you no it's all good but yeah so but when they get in there they're like you wouldn't know it's just oh there's the bigger kid type yeah. of thing so, because it's just it's just interesting because like what Marion was saying about identity development. I mean, high school is just about that, just as much as as it is in middle school, right? And so, I think the difference would be that by high school they maybe have settled into uh, a clique or a, an image or, or whatever. And, and so, the tenth grade is still pretty dicey. Like yeah. middle school is feral animal children. Like, they could go all over the place. And Marianne, you are fantastic for working middle school because middle well, school... thank you. Is, <laughs> you know, it's the very best age. By the time we send them to you, they at least have an idea. I used to teach elementary school, and by the end of the year, I have them excited about learning and ready to think of themselves as learners. But then they keep going and maybe not have a great year in the future, and they lose it. But by the time, if they leave eighth grade thinking themselves as someone who's creative, someone who has a community, somebody Mm -hmm. whose school is for me, then they're much more likely to be successful because it sort of crystallizes. I think my district needs more teachers like you because these kids come to ninth grade and they're crazy. Well, a different podcast is all about the area of vision for what middle school should look like. It is not the way it often is. You know, I don't have the exact same experience um, that he was talking about, but I mm-hmm. think some of it, I think I have a couple of reasons why. Okay. The first reason is our school is small. So lots of it's a public middle school. It has nine sure. towns in it, but I'm in rural New Hampshire. And so everybody has an opportunity to be in multiple cliques. Because, like, mm-hmm. nobody gets cut from the play. 
there's 60 kids in the play. I run it. But nobody gets cut from the play. Yeah. <laughs> Almost nobody gets cut from the basketball team. So it's always great when the basketball coach is super mad because everyone's like, we're not coming to basketball practice because we all have a big boss battle. <laughs> so, on Friday. so that's why I do it on Fridays too, because that's the least likely time oh, sure. that people mm-hmm. are doing clubs. Um, I also have that is so weapon. awesome. Yeah, it really is. For the record, I have a secret weapon, and that's my daughter, um, who is in my middle school, and she's in fifth grade, going to sixth grade, and she is super cool. And so all of her friends. She cons like everyone in the fifth grade into coming into D. That's cheating. You have an insider. You I can't do that. <laughs> I can't, but it's really set the precedent. And That's cool. You know, I think it's really, really neat when the kids who don't have anything else have D&D. But I also think it's really neat. Uh, it, that piece of, it's like the magic of, of having everyone sit down at the table together, which I think is part of what you were saying before about the football players. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, they're not like, oh, I'm a football player, so now yeah, I will exactly. do this. You know? They're just super into it. And and they get progressively more into it as they realize that literally nobody cares. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and they love, at the middle school level, they love to act it out. So, um, and they're very whimsical. Uh-huh. And so... Like, I'll look over and every, they've turned on some music and they're all strutting it out because somehow they have this, like, charisma thing and now they're doing this male model off <laughs> to see, like, who's going to get the prize. And, you know, you never know. Or the real crab housewives of New York City. or Like, oh it's really gosh. very whimsical and fun. Um, but there's a lot of people rolling around on the floor also. So cool. <laughs> people love rolling around on the floor. We do it in the cafeteria, so there's lots of room. Yeah. And cafeteria floors aren't gross. Yeah, they, they, no, no, they are. In middle school, they certainly are. Yep. But here's a pro tip for working with kids. The house rule is, if your guy falls on the floor, it is an automatic critical fail. And that helps us not whip dice across the room at each other. It's those little things that you don't think about. Those dice roll off the table so often that it is unbelievable. Well, especially when you're purposefully whipping them at somebody at another table because it's hilarious. Oh, that's you. Yeah, so that that brings me back to another thing that you had said, Matt, that I wanted to ask you both about, which is that nobody can be bad at D&D. And so you said that, and I I was running it against, like, other possible extracurriculars, and I, and, like, you said, like, you can be bad at track and get cut from the team, but like you can't there's no equivalent of that in D&D and so just thinking like you know nobody would ever go into like basketball and play intentionally badly right so but does that ever happen in, in your D&D clubs like do you have kids who come in in bad faith okay maybe you can maybe I should clarify you can't be bad at D&D you can be a jerk at D&D and the kids who know that they're being jerks Oftentimes, they know that they're being jerks. I think I'm talking when I talk about the the students who are bad at who you can't be dead, like bad at D and D. Those are the students who don't know what a proficiency like a proficiency bonus is, or they don't necessarily know what their feet does. Those types of things like that. So, yeah. in terms of like, you can't be bad at D and D just because you're inexperienced. Now, if you like have poor social skills and mm-hmm. you're mean you could 
coffee, all those types of things at the table. And then those are like different issues that we have to like look at. But you're, say you are just, you always roll bad and you don't always make the smartest decisions. Maybe you're like, oh, I just want to keep throwing my hand axe. And you're mm -hmm. like, no, just do a crossbow. Like a crossbow does more damage or you forgot your sneak attack again. You mm -hmm. know, who cares? Because the game can still be fun even if you don't min-max your character and play your character exactly how you should play. But are definitely those other variables that could um, that you do have to work with and manage because you could bring either like a you can have a student bring a bad attitude intentionally or unintentionally mm -hmm. to the table, and then those are things that you do have to uh, address and worry about. So I would like to back this up a little bit, and I think we jumped into this conversation with an assumption that people have any idea of what Dungeons & Dragons actually is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm assuming that most of the people who are going to listen to this have had enough pop culture references to D&D that they have some sense that it involves like a bunch of nerdy white guys in a basement with, <laughs> with dice that are weird shaped. Yep. But what it really is is collaborative storytelling. Yes. So the idea is there's a dungeon master who plays the part of the narrator and all of the minor characters. And then everyone in the party plays the part of all the main characters, the protagonists mm -hmm. of the story. <laughs> and so the dungeon master makes up antagonists and monsters and situations and there's all sorts of books and a billion things online mm -hmm. to help you with that or you make it up from your head um, and then the people who are playing the protagonists which we call the party the party is you make up a character and you make up which humanoid race they are and you make up what class they are which is sort of like a job so mm -hmm. it could be anything from being a bard or a cleric with religious ties, or a warlock, or mm -hmm. a fighter. And so, but you can't be good at everything in the way that you are in video games. So, I mean, the higher you level, the better you get to be in things, um, just like in video games. But it's, when uh, Matt said about min-maxing, it's way more interesting in terms of the storyline to have a character that has faults that makes bad choices, it's so funny when someone fails a role and mm -hmm. bad mm -hmm. happens to everyone and everyone's like, ah! But it's really good for social skills, too, because we can all come together as a party and laugh mm -hmm. at the fact that the characters are failing. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we're not actually them. And so, so that's the whole idea, is that you're doing a collaborative story. Mm -hmm. And the flavor of that story is based on the skill sets of the main characters and sort of the whims of the dungeon master working as a team. Mm -hmm. And so for us, um, we are pretty clear about what the expectations are. We have norms um, that we go over every week, and they are um, good leaders need good followers, and good followers need good leaders. And that means everybody came here to play, so do things that allow us to play. But if you're the DM and you're not prepared, you can't be mad if your whole group's running around and not listening. <laughs> like, you brought that on yourself, right? Good leaders and good followers. Mm -hmm. We have, an, um, actions have consequences, so be careful. And that's true outside of the game and in the game. So if I'm that guy who's going around throwing hand axe at everyone, like, I'm going to jail. I've trained my DMs to send them to jail, and it's super boring. And then they don't do it again. <laughs> right? Like, there's... 
whatever, there has to be real danger mm-hmm. um, and consequences for the game to be fun. Um, and we're all here to have fun. Mm-hmm. So work as a team, so we do, is another one. And so part of what I'm asking my DMs to do also is gauge, like, where when they're seeing their group is squirrely, let them take a break. If, you know, what sort of starting to lead the room a mm-hmm. little bit, because that's part of it, too, telling mm-hmm. the story together. Um, so I agree with Matt that you can't really be bad at D&D. You can be inexperienced. Um, if, if I think you are really playing in bad faith, which doesn't happen very often, but I will just call you out. Mm-hmm. Be like, hey, one of our norms is we're all here to have fun. Let's work mm-hmm. as a team, so we all do. You're purposefully ruining it, I can tell. Yeah. And usually they're like, all right. And they cut it out. <laughs> but to be totally fair, I have a character who is a, who I play in an adult game who is a cleric of the pain goddess. Mm-hmm. So he's always trying to get as injured as possible. So everyone else runs away from the bad guy, and he runs towards the bad guy screaming. So I always try to get him at really low hit points without dying, and it's hilarious. <laughs> and the rest of my party is super, super patient with it. Yeah. Um, but so, so that's the whole thing, too, is there are some things, like I have one table of kids, they're super good kids, and by good, I mean they're, like, compliant, they do the right thing, they're very, like, stereotypical good middle school kids. Yeah. And they come on Friday afternoon, and they just want to murder everything. Everything. Sure. Everything gets burned, everything gets um, burned down, it's mayhem, and you know what? Good for them. They all want it that way, and so since the expectations of the table are clear, Everyone who's at that table knows that it's going to be just mayhem all the time. And so we try to move kids around so that the, everyone at the table sort of wants the same thing out of their experience. And I think that's really important, whether you're a student or an adult. Cool. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think we should also say, too, that um, Wizards of the Coast, which is the company that now owns Dungeons & Dragons, has published, I think, safe to say, like thousands of pages of source material, um, and and they would tell you um, their uh, their rules designers would, would be the first people to tell you that um, you can take or leave like one hundred percent of what they maybe not one hundred percent but ninety five percent of what they have, have published as far as like the rules go. Um, they they would tell you that their their goal um, as a as a company as a corporation, which is kind of bizarre, like as far as corporate responsibility goes, they would tell you that their their number one goal is for you to have fun and to, to use the game however you however you want to. Um, so I, I mention that again because like I know the game can be kind of intimidating to people who've never have never played it before. Um, because there are like mountains of books and different settings and all that stuff. Um, it, it really is just what you make it. So I'm I say all this too to ask like is there are there settings that <clears throat> or settings or like rule books that your your students have, have leaned towards more or stuff that you have maybe tried to push them away from in the game? So I guess I will start with this is me stalling for time because I think of an answer. Now I, I can think of an answer if you need a minute. Well, so I will, this is what I'll say. I traditionally start off 
the school year, I will lead the group of students who are like the newest, newest players. They're usually freshmen or sophomores, and they've never played D&D before in their entire lives. So last year, what I started off with was the D&D Essentials Kit. It is sort of their second uh, edition, second version of the starter set. There was the original starter set that they started with, and that was like Vibes of Fandelvir. And Mm -hmm. the D&D Essentials Kit is something about a dragon of Ice Fire Peak. And I think that the basic Faerun setting is pretty average. It's super Tolkien-esque. And it is probably like the most vanilla, most basic flavor of D&D that there is possible. So it's a lot of the tropes that you think exist uh, within this fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Like, they are very similar to other fantasy worlds. So you have your elves, you have your your goblins, and you have the dwarves. They kind of all fall into those archetypes. Whether that is good or bad, that's really up for the DM to decide. But if you're looking for a place for students to just jump into like a very generic D&D setting, I think that the the favorite setting is a great place to do it. And the D&D Essentials Kit, I love it. It is based around this dragon that is terrorizing the land, but it's really set up in like a mission-based system. So there's like a board where you can get different quests and you do the quests and that progresses you through the story until you eventually your characters are strong enough to uh, take on the ice dragon or the white dragon and yeah it's super super simple it is not going to necessarily have a very like intense dramatic plot line that you might find with some of the other D&D campaigns but if you're looking for a place for students to learn about some of the tropes of D&D to learn the basic skills and to have an adventure that has a dragon because kids love fighting dragons. It's in the title of the game, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, it has a dragon in it. So I think that's a great place uh, for players to start and for new DMs to start as well, too. You know, Eberron is fun and there are so many home settings out there. Yep. Too, and they all get a little bit more lore intensive and they get a little bit more feats intensive and things like that. Mm-hmm. I know that I got the Theros book and I was like paging through that I'm like oh my gosh my students will never learn any of these mythologies of these Magic the Gathering gods and that type of thing so I'm like I think mm-hmm. I gotta go back to favor in the 2020, 2021 year mm-hmm. So I agree with you um, my very favorite adventure to start out with is what it's on um, drive through RPG Mm-hmm. Like there's, there are all these other um, websites that have things, little adventures other people have written that are either free or really cheap. It's by Monique Franson, and it is called the Laureate Trials. Mm-hmm. And the shtick of it is that you are seeing if you can be a laureate. And yeah. Well, Sly, Sly Flourish is the uh, the lazy dungeon master. He. He has all sorts of different things to help you with homebrew and some campaigns. It's not really lazy. It's really just smart thinking. Um, so I have not done um, what Matt is talking about in the Essentials Kit, um, but I that sounds way better than the Starter Kit. So watch out, boys. I'm standing up on the soapbox. So part of, 
My problem with the Lost Minds of Fandelberg, which is what everybody starts with because it's in the starter kit, is it's a crappy story about murdering everything. Right? <laughs> okay? And, like, D&D, the way it's classically done is you get points from murdering stuff. Yes. And I'm fine with murdering stuff if, it's, if it forwards the plot. But I can't, in good conscience, just be like, everybody just murder everything all the time. That's cool, because that's lazy storytelling. Yes. It's super lazy storytelling. And so we don't do, like, we don't do experience points that way. But that's not a great story, because the best way to solve most of the problems in that story is to kill everything. Mm -hmm. And so I like stories that you have a more open-ended set of choices, Mm -hmm. and that each one of those choices sort of snowballs into a different choice. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I think is really problematic about Dungeons & Dragons that they're sort of working on, but is part of the DNA of it, is because Faerun is Tolkien-based, it has all of his inherent prejudices. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we always get to this point in the year where I'm like, well, why are you killing goblins? They're like, because they're bad. I'm like, well, how do you know they're bad? Well, they're guarding the treasure. Well, whose treasure is it? Their treasure. (laughs) But you're murdering them and stealing their treasure? Oh, right? Well, they're they're bad guys. They're they're monsters. I'm like, but don't they have language? Are they someone's mom? Right? And they're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. So so I want to be thoughtful about that, especially at the middle school level. Yes. Right? We don't just murder people who are different than us. Mm-hmm. And if they have language and culture, like, there can't be, like, in the D&D, the old D&D books, it says that orc culture is chaotic evil. Or, like, drow culture. You can't have a culture that's chaotic evil. It would just fall apart. That's better. Right? So, so I do think you have to be really thoughtful when you're working with kids. This is part of why I think in the past not everyone felt welcome at the table because there was like a very clear set of like ways that you were supposed to play and these are the good guys and these are the bad guys and it's all about crunching the numbers. Mm -hmm. But some kids love to get into that crunchy number stuff Mm -hmm. and they want to do maps and they want to do grids and they want to really think about that and that's totally cool but there are other kids who are really just there for the story and the socialization and that's also really cool yep. so I, I think you have to be really thoughtful mm-hmm. about sort of which tropes you fall into mm-hmm. and making sure that it makes sense Oh, for sure. Like, I think a lot of the discussion around D&D and some of the, the big podcasts that um, feature it is, is really interesting and I'm, I'm really cautiously optimistic I think about some of the stuff that Wizards has said about how they they plan to rewrite um, some of the lore because it it is uh, biological determinism it's a a very deterministic game Uh, it is very racist in in a lot of ways just to be very um, I mean there's no reason not to to beat around the bush It's it's an extremely racist game um, and I, I think maybe it was like six months ago. My time since everything's been going on, my sense of time is completely destroyed. Six months to a year ago, I remember seeing an article where somebody had, on their own, readapted the rules to take out all of the race-based um, 
like statistics and feats and everything um, and applied those instead to professions uh, or the, the classes and just like re restructured it from the ground up um, and it makes perfect sense right and I, I think it also allows um, anybody playing it to be more creative right um, because like one of the things that I, I do enjoy about the game is that like I said um, they will they will tell you to do anything with it that you that you want but then the rules are extraordinarily narrow when it comes to a lot of race and class based stuff um, and I, I just love how the community has completely flipped some of those on their heads right like I think the classic is that like tieflings are supposed to be really evil demons right but everybody's tiefling is like super adorable <laughs> and a good guy and just like a misunderstood poet <laughs> which is not at all what um, the original concept of a tiefling was meant to be and I, I'm sure Gary Gygax would not approve of that at all uh, so yeah but like every middle schooler every fourth middle schooler is a tiefling because they're kind of email and misunderstood yep. uh -huh. but really sweet on the inside yep oh yeah middle schooler uh, but the rest of them are all dragonborns and tabaxis because dragonborns <laughs> are lizard people and tabaxi yep. are cat people. Yep. So, you and know, why wouldn't you do that? Tabaxis and dragonborns and tieflings. <laughs> they're going to be so sad when they realize that their breath weapon isn't very good after about level five. Yeah, it's like, oh, breath weapon, breath weapon, so good, and I'm a dragon. Oh, well, nobody yeah, cares about your breath weapon. Well, in real life, uh, hygiene's not that great at our age, so the real life breath weapon is pretty intense sometimes. It like, really smells like teen spirit and D&D oh quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, so to kind of maybe piggyback off of what you're saying, I think that 5th edition uh, evolved a lot from 4th uh, edition and 3.5 and 3rd edition yeah. in terms of mechanics and making mm -hmm. the game accessible to people from a mechanical point of view I think that the advantage disadvantage system is fantastic oh it's so good I love how weapons only go to like plus 3 because mm -hmm. like other editions you have like a plus 15 oh, yeah. modifier on the things and for people who get like super number crunchy like they like that stuff but as a teacher, I would not want to try to teach a ninth grader who is playing this game that is super unique for the first time. Like, I don't want to have to teach them all of that calculation stuff. And yeah. it's so easy to jump into a game of D&D, mechanics-wise. But I think that over the events of, like, specifically this year and just... Uh, discussion within the community, especially over like the past few years, and having podcasts that are just like Adventure Zone, very big, you know, just yep. showing like there's a lot of ways that you can uh, mm -hmm. play with um, a lot of the tropes. Like, yeah, they're elves, but the elves don't have to behave in a Tolkien-esque way and that type of thing like that. And yeah. there's good, there's good orcs and that type of thing. I think it's all of those forces coming together to really show like, hey. This is something that we are passionate about, mm -hmm. and but we see the inherent flaws in the lore of it, so let's develop the lore, mm -hmm. and let's improve it and grow from there. So I think those are really cool conversations, and will be really cool actions that um, hopefully uh, Wizards of the Coast will eventually uh, follow through on. Yeah. Oh, I, well, and, oh go and, ahead. Uh, 
Well, where I live is very uh, rural. And, well, I mean, relatively rural, and it's very white, and it's very um, heterocentric, and, you know, so it's really interesting for them to be able to try different kinds of personalities on. Um, mm-hmm. One of my slay queens um, came up and was flirting with another, was flirting with the guard, and who was a girl, and one of the other girls is like, that's a girl. You're going to flirt with a girl? And she turns around and she's like, there's dragons! <laughs> yes. dra- I can flirt with whoever I want, there's dragons! Yeah, why is that the weird thing? Oh no, you can't do that. Excuse me, I have to use the fly spell and I'm just going to fly away. Right? And so, like, that's the sticking point here? And so she was like, you know what, that's fair. So, good point. And it, it was like, right. And so it's good to be able to have those conversations and, um, in a way, or, you know, have that conversation about, like, is it fair to judge people based on what you see of them or know of their culture when you've never met them before? Because it's hard to have that conversation sometimes in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. in a place where 99% of people are white, because then you're, like, literally talking about that one kid in class. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and that's not fair to that kid either. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to say, have have some of those same conversations that are not about specific people, mm-hmm. but are about that the concept. And hopefully those are some of the things that can then transfer into the bigger world. Like, if I can do it in... About goblins. Hopefully I can do it when I move to, like, literally anywhere else and meet people who aren't exactly like me. (laughs) Far off Vermont. Exactly. (laughs) All the way to Manchester, New Hampshire. So, I'm curious, how do you you handle those moments where they are, um, how do I want to put this? So, like, part of adolescent identity development is exploring that emerging sexual identity, right? So how does that... And you, you mentioned, like, they're going to play around with, like, flirting with different NPCs at the table. How do you allow them the space to do that but still have it be appropriate? Like, given your, your out-of-character relationship with them. And, like, I don't want to say the safety, but, like, I guess for their own, their own safety. You know what I mean? Like, how, how do you allow them to kind of flex that and, and explore that in a, in a way that's healthy and safe. Well, I'm going to push back on you a little bit and say, how do you do that at any table? <laughs> right? We have to, we can't assume any time that you're going to do collaborative storytelling with anyone else, you cannot assume that everyone has the same boundaries mm-hmm. and that everyone knows what the boundaries are. And so part of what's been very big in the community lately and I think is really important is having their session zeros and it's having that discussion ahead of time like if I um, you know I'm a mom and I am very sensitive to bad things happening to children Mm -hmm. and there might be other people at the table who like don't associate with that in the same way one of the people at my table is a dog breeder and is like super about dogs and so would not really like to have a storyline in which we're like murdering dogs or like dog murdering is part of it right yeah or if somebody really hates spiders mm-hmm. like let's not go down to see the spider queen the mm-hmm. entire story yeah um so there's all sorts of things and and 
and the identity exploration and like flirting and things like that is part of it at any level. Um, my kids are pretty good about it at the middle school level, honestly. But I will have that conversation. Like this is a this is like a PG movie. Yeah. This is this is a PG movie. It's not a rated R movie. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I can continue with that too. <laughs> I think that when you are playing with uh, a group of students, one thing that you do have to take into account is that you're not necessarily going to get the exact same experience as when you're playing with your friends. Mm-hmm. I think that the session zero uh, is great, so you can establish what themes that uh, you're appropriate uh, that, that are appropriate for you and your for your group. I think that using um, different uh, safety features such as like, I can't remember the, name, the exact name of it, but like it's an X card where you just yeah, like, that's you it. Throw, that's yep. the yeah, the X card. You just, you just throw that, you throw it on the card and it's like, okay, we don't continue this NBC conversation. We don't like continue this storyline thread to end, no questions asked. Uh, I think that's pretty great. I think that one thing that I always have to keep in mind as well is that like as a teacher, like I have to make sure that the environment is safe for my students and it's also safe for me. So I definitely... I put my restrictions down early on where I'm like, okay, you know, you can play any race you want, you can play any gender you want, but there are, like, certain things you can't do. You can't get fantasy drunk. You can't do <laughs> fantasy drugs in here. There's going to be, like, no player versus player combat. Uh, no characters are going to be evil characters in the, the different types of uh, roles, mm-hmm. uh, that type of thing like that. And... So there's a, at no point am I do I ever say like no you can't express uh, any like you know um, like explore your own sexuality with I do like really point I point this out like this is a school setting and we have to make sure that everybody is welcome at this table and I don't want you to go home and say yeah I flirted with my teacher at my fantasy D and D game and like oh now I get fired type of thing like that so it is really just establishing some of these rules that are safe for the students and for the teacher uh, within the setting because you don't want to push any boundaries. Right, and that's one of the things that's really great about not being a DM. That's fantastic, it's yeah. kids to do that. Mm-hmm. So, is, you know, they self-regulate amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. So, how do you uh, how do you train your DMs then? So, I mean, I feel like train is a strong word. Um, how do you educate yeah. <laughs> your, so, or how do you adequately prepare your sure. your your DMs who are at the same the same emotional and intellectual level as their their table and may also just be learning this the first at the same time. So how do you how do you prepare them for a game that as we as we know can can go off the rails pretty quickly? Well, first of all, um, I really recommend that students. DM in pairs so they can help each other. Um, that helps with the preparation and then if somebody's absent, the whole table doesn't go south and the it also you know helps them have more authority and it helps them make decisions together and if somebody's stuck or frustrated, somebody else can take over. Um, so that's the first thing. And really... I do, you know, this is collaborative storytelling, so I try to talk about, like, what are the beats of the story, Mm -hmm. right? So let's go to the end. What is the ultimate goal for the party? Mm -hmm. What are the different ways they can achieve that? Mm -hmm. And, And if we go back and sort of make a graphic organizer of the main ideas, 
then you start to fill in, okay, well, there's going to be some monsters here, and there's going to be this. So there's this sort of backwards design of creating a quest. They can also just use a pre-made one from Sly Flourish or Wizards of the Coast or whoever. Um, but then a lot of it is also about what do you do if someone's not listening? Mm-hmm. What do you do if they do want to do something that's really different than you expected? And, and I try to put kids with varying strengths together. Mm-hmm. So you get one kid who's really good at the rules and another kid who's really good at improv. They can support each other. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think, I think those are awesome tips. I don't do a lot of, like, intentional preparation for my DMs. I definitely have different resources available with them. Most mm-hmm. of the students who become DMs usually... Uh, run through an entire year of Dungeons and Dragons uh, with me, mm-hmm. so like they know how I DM, they know how the game mechanics work, that type of thing. And mm-hmm. I think a lot, like a lot of di- like D and D, you just gotta get out there, and you're going to make the mistakes. So, you know, I think I always encourage them keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. Don't worry if things don't go exactly as expected. It's going to be fine as long as everybody's having fun. You're doing a good job. Just don't be so committed to that six-hour storyline that you wrote up and you're like, okay, they're going to go to this point here and this point here and this point here because it's not going to happen like that. Mm -hmm. You're going to get to a fun outcome that you didn't expect. Just be flexible. But I think, Marianne, like you are saying, the co-DMing is such a cool idea. It really allows students to take advantage of each other's strengths, and if you do have a kid who's absent, then the one can take over for at least that one session. Right, logistics. It's all about logistics. <laughs> it's true. There's this whole, like, grand idea of, like, oh, isn't it great that we're bringing the community together and kids can learn about their identity and have fun and improv, and sometimes it's just, like, you gotta have enough dice. Make sure there's enough pencils there. Do you have enough character sheets? Because those things affect that community and that grand goal that you're playing. So you have to also remember the realistic things as well, too. Oh, yes, sure. and one, so on that note, one of the things that we do that the DMs started this year is that once you complete your first mission, once you go through the Laureate Trials, you get a 20-sided die. To keep oh, fun. That That's cute. Yours. And nice. so we have this throne in my classroom. So they wheel the throne up, and then they take a big, long piece of purple paper, and they make everyone sit down, and then they make the person walk and kneel, and then they bash them on the head gently like, with a sword, but it's a little stuffed dragon, and then they give them their... And they introduce them to the guild. This is the best thing I've ever heard of. And, uh, and everyone cheers. So it's really great. Oh, so cute. Um, That's so and, sweet. But it's meaningful to them, yeah. too. And then also in the cafeteria, we have a fan art so that when people are playing, at the middle school level, I really have to provide things for them to do with their hands Yeah. Um, while they're playing that mm-hmm. isn't whipping dice at each other. Um, and so a lot of them like to color or draw. And if we have things... Uh, like drawings of things that have happened or characters, we put them up mm-hmm. and we appreciate our fan art also. So that's really yeah. cool. It's just trying to build. It's always a, trying to build community and logistics yep. at the same time. That is super cool. That's really cool. Um, so I, I think the last thing that I wanted to ask you both about. Um, 
so like what I I love most and and how, what allows me to live vicariously since my own project uh, failed spectacularly here. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, why did it fail? Oh, it failed. Oh, oh, it failed. Oh. It was logistics, right? It it was the it wasn't the idea. It was the logistics. Oh boy. Um. So like you, I, I saw uh, Hand or a Sword, and so my background is in criminology, um, and I, I've heard, uh, I had heard of, of places that had used D&D um, either in, like, adult prisons or in juvenile um, facilities, and I'm, um, I have a documentary I show my, my students about a, a girls' facility where they, they wrote and put on a musical about their lives, and I thought this seems like perfect for for where I live um, and I have I have connections with county probation and stuff and so we um, I partnered with a, a guidance counselor here um, we got permission from her principal um, I raised money um, through social media I have a I still have a box of, of PHBs of player handbooks around here that I, I bought through fundraising um, I bought all the digital books and then everything that could have gone wrong went wrong <laughs> so uh, the school, the school bailed. Um, my, the the volunteer I had to act as the DM um, backed out at the last second. Um, I broke my back. <laughs> so, oh my gosh! Yeah, um, everything. Yeah, everything that could have gone wrong went went wrong for it. But this is excellent news, Andy. It means there's nothing wrong with the concept. It was the timing <laughs> and the logistics. This concept could work. You just have to rethink the logistics again. So that's that's how it is, you know, all the time as a middle school teacher. You're like, well, that was crappy. Was it, <laughs> is it because it was a terrible idea? Or was it because of some other reason? And it sounds yeah. like the idea is very strong. It's just the logistics they working My, on. I had, I had a room about half a dozen to maybe ten college students like we we wrote a campaign one semester um, to, to use um, as an introduction for the students that we wanted to work with um, yeah just the, the buy-in that seemed to be there kind of evaporated the students all lost yeah. interest um, where I where I live uh, I live in an interesting part of Pennsylvania so um Maybe in twenty years, like this idea would take off here, but not so much right now. <laughs> this is this is more of a twenty-second century idea for, for northeastern Pennsylvania, unfortunately. Um, I will say that I think that everything that could go wrong, as you said, did go wrong because we're both rural teachers. I teach in rural Minnesota. It is a city of 10,000 people, and, I mean, mm -hmm. the favorite color here is blaze orange for hunting, and yep. <laughs> you'll be surprised. There yep. is always a demographic, and it seems like the factors did not work well in this scenario, but I don't think it's a, like a 22nd century idea. I think it's like a two-year idea. I think just give it some time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's only 1,200 people in my town. So. And you have 50 kids. Out of 250. Yeah, it's awesome. I couldn't believe it, that they all kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> but the other day, you know, we 
So um, for us in the public school and probably other places sector, um, we've been dealing with something called COVID-19. I heard of that. I heard of that. It's very much changed teaching for the spring, but something it didn't change much was D&D, and it did in that I took over a lot of DMing, but we did Zoom Mm D&D, and it was awesome. So we had about 30 of the kids stuck around for that, and so I was doing D&D like an hour and a half a day (laughs) for like three or four days a week. It was like a lot. That's a lot of D&D. Also really neat, because I was running the same campaign with each group. Oh, yeah. um, They would solve problems completely differently. Yep. And that was very cool. And then afterwards, I would explain to them how the other group solved it. But, you know, I think that's been a very important outlet socially for my students. And then the other day, I was working in the garden, and one of my students walked by, because I live in the town I teach in, and small... And I was like, oh, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm going over to Cody's house to play D&D. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I evoke a lot to get them to be able to do it on their own is working. So, <laughs> right? That's Because that's ultimately what we want is, yeah. is to be able to send them out into the big world with more skills yep. than they have before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One um, of my students last year was um, hospitalized for a mental health episode, which was really scary for her. But when she got there... They're playing D&D. Yeah. And she, and she remembered what her character sheet was like. Nice. So she had me send it to her. And... Cute. Was. Awesome. And, uh, and that gave her, like, an automatic hand in a scary place. Yeah. So... Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's what we were trying to... Uh, that's what we, the, the idea was to accomplish here. Um, find kids who had past victimization or justice system involvement or um, substance use disorders. And, and just introduce D&D to them. I remember the first time I heard about it being used in an adult facility was um, guys, and I forget where the prison was, but they were they were in a program that was helping them learn how to like externalize their problems. Um, and so they were they were playing D&D as a, as a way of like the dragon represented like all the bad stuff that had happened to them in the past. That um, as we know, men are, are historically very resistant to therapy right so so D&D became a, a way of kind of circumventing a lot of that like toxic masculinity stuff with mm-hmm. with a population that um, may have, have for some guys at least have only ever been able to, to solve problems with violence sure and so giving them ways to like kind of use other muscles um, sounds Really, this is like really amazing stuff. Um, but what I wanted to ask before is that, like, one of the things that I love um, about D and D clubs is hearing stories of times that your your students had uh, a glow up <laughs> kind of moment. And so, do you have those? Do you have like uh, examples of when like your kids did something amazing and you're standing there like, I can't believe that this kid did this thing and that's so amazing and like, do you have stories like that? No, we have zero stories like that. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids are all very traditional, like a lot of murder hobo stuff, kind of. It really is a relative sort of, like, rating or measurement to all these things because, like, sometimes you will have this 
kid just like do a super impassioned speech and it's fantastic and everybody's like laughing mm-hmm. or amazed by the event that they're like engaged in and that type of thing and sometimes it's the student who's been like super silent months and then they just come out of their shell and it's not even like that significant to an mm-hmm. outsider if they were just there that one day it would be like oh look at that person talked yeah and they did a persuasion check mm-hmm. and but for you like you know that this persuasion check was like three months in the making and that's like when they finally got that confidence so it's like teaching you know you have your high flyers yeah. and you have your students that struggle with the concepts and you can get almost like you get like equally happy when both of those students make achievements that are relative to like their prior abilities yep so there are definitely tons and tons of those um at my D club i think this year one of those examples is that we did the D essentials campaign that took about 60 percent of the school year and we had probably about four weeks until we went into quarantine. And I had a student who wanted to Cody up a mm-hmm. little short quest. And she had a original character that she made up who was like a sassy uh, cyborg that's kind of reminiscent of like an Undertale type thing. And we spent some time in study hall developing all the traps and designing the layout of Andromeda's like fortress type of thing like that and then to get into the actual game itself and to see how excited she was to be co-DMing and the way that she would randomly like do NPC voices and conversations with me like we were just doing random stuff on the fly and she was like so into it like you could see that the kids were super engaged and like like her heart just like grew three times that day like she was just so excited to be playing this, you know, original character that she had been thinking about for months and months and being able to share that with other people and, you know, role play and do that stuff. I mean, it was fantastic. It was it was super awesome. So there was also a, a person who turned into a giant hamster in the room. So that was fun, too. So. That's always good. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's... It's hard because explaining your D&D campaign it, to someone who's not there is kind of like when you're telling a dream. Yeah. And it sort of rambles on. <laughs> yeah. Of events, <laughs> yep. hamster, and you kind of had to be there, yep. but it was really funny. But, but, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, one thing that was really big for me is I have a couple students who have some expressive language difficulties who are in the different D&D groups. And one of them, his first character, just murdered him. He just, he was, he's the kid who punched the person in the face and then they left and they didn't do the clue. And he played that character like a whole year. And then the next fall, as I'm passing out everybody's character sheets, he's like, I'm bored of this character. I'm going to do a new one. And he made a much more complex character that wasn't just, I'm going to hit everything. It was a character that had more talking as part of it. Yeah. And he was ready for that. And so that was really exciting because this is a kid who hardly speaks at all. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and I have another kid who is a DM who um, has a lot of problems with emotional self-regulation. And in the classroom, it makes himself a social pariah because when you are 
in sixth grade, you know, you can't leap and throw things when you don't get exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do that in D&D. Yeah. And he's a fantastic DM. And so yeah. I had his mother come in, and she and I were just, like, sitting in the corner crying. <laughs> like, with little oh, tears, because so awesome. we were so proud of him. And it's like, this is possible. It is possible for you to yep. do this and be successful. And so I think that's, you know, that's really important. Um, and seeing some of the friendships grow out of it, that wouldn't have grown... And the, the inside jokes between kids, you know, it, it's really neat to see them have that shared experience. That's really cool. Um, thank you both for taking time today to tell everybody about the amazing work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Of course, yeah. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. And it, you can't give up. You can't give up on your D&D dreams. Hey, Andy Wilzak again. So, I uh, hope you enjoyed this week's show as much as we enjoyed putting it together. If you did, we would really appreciate it if you left us positive reviews, five-star ratings on iTunes and all of the other podcast places that you can do this stuff. And more importantly, this show thrives on word of mouth. So, we are doing this completely through social media. All of the guests that we've had are people that I found on Twitter. <laughs> so, If you are untenured and you are in any kind of academic discipline or you have an advanced degree and are working out in the field and you want an opportunity to come on the show and hype your stuff, please reach out. You can follow us on Twitter at Untenured Tracks or me at HeyDrWill. That's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. Please send me a message on one or both accounts and we will book you on the show. It doesn't matter what your discipline is. I know that a lot of our previous interviews have been sociology and criminology based because that's my background but I am open to anybody. So again, please rate and review the show. Tell your friends, tell your people about this, and I'll see you next week. Bye.